Hey gang, Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is funded by Patreon. Join for early access to special bonus episodes and exclusive material, including the upcoming Scooby-Doo Book Club. Joining is the best way that you can be a part of shaping the material we produce, and we are super thankful to everyone who contributes. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Katie Maxwell, Jordan Ferguson, Pablo Gordon, Spencer Graham, Matthew Bang, Blake Sawyer, Ashley Martinez, Dan Reed, Gabriel Pezek, Toj, Anderson Skull, Wynn Richport, Samuel Chesser, Sarah Thal, Bradford N. Smith, and Paige on Gaming for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those to Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching Scooby-Doo Franken-Creepy. WrestleMania. Um, and yet, both of us are sitting here with an incredible amount of notes for Frank and Creepy. Now, are all these notes indicative of its quality, Billy? Or is it just that 50 trillion things happen within the narrative? You see, Because this is one of those situations where you gotta just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks, and they apparently thought everything stuck, so everything stayed in. Now, here is what I will say, though. Comparing Franken-Creepy to WrestleMania Mystery, all the notes I have here are at least related to the gang. So there are, there are pertinent notes. It's not like WrestleMania Mystery, where it was really just like we went over 500 minor mentions in an uh, afternoon. But I feel like by the time we get through like half of the gang and there's still half left to make all these notes for, we will kill to be talking about Triple H and how he pulls a lever. Like, you know, like, that's his, that's Triple H's whole thing. He, he pulls, pulls a lever. lever. <laughs> now we can move on. Right, whereas now we need to get into the, like, deep-seated psychology of each of the gang members and what makes them tick. Like, I at least like that it focuses on the gang members and Scooby-Doo. When I call them gang members, it makes it seem much more <laughs> ominous than it is. But, you know, Mystery Incorporated. Our gang. No drive-by shootings in this movie, for reasons we'll get into under Freddy. This is also very appropriate we're releasing this in October, because it's one of the spookier movies. Is Take, it? It takes place in Transylvania, Pennsylvania. Six five thousand. 
So yeah, we're in Pennsylvania. Huzzah! The spookiest state. It's a state, right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know, could have been a county for all I know. I'm Canadian. But that's not where we start. We don't start right off in Transylvania in Spooky Town. Transylvania, Pennsylvania. Six, five thousand. Uh, yeah. That's not a joke that the movie ever makes, but it's one that no. we will make constantly. It is, yes. Um, because we just watched that Muppet Show episode with the baby band. That's it. That's why it's in our heads. Okay. Six, five thousand. That makes sense. I mean, you're just lucky that this episode doesn't take place in Chattanooga. Because then I'd be like, pardon me, boy. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not a restart. And what I was about to say is, this movie starts, at first glance, super abruptly. We're here on a search engine, as someone is on the search engine, Scooble-Doo, searching for Daphne's modeling pics. You're gonna get those creepy porn websites? that photoshop people's faces onto naked bodies, and I'm not here for that. It's just not- it doesn't feel right for the tone to start off a Scooby-Doo movie looking for Daphne's modeling pics. It starts it off on a bit of a skeevy vibe. Yeah. And it kind of threw me off throughout the whole opening, honestly. I think it it got me back on track. But as this movie opened, it, it just felt, admittedly, not a one-off monster, and then off to the main mystery. I'm glad we've abandoned that. But it's it's still, it, w- it was off to me. It just felt off at first glance. Okay, I would have killed for finding the fucking Rat King in the sewers of New York before going to Pennsylvania. Over Daphne using the lure of her modeling pics to get people to pay attention to her live vlog. Yeah, her iCarly style. <laughs> webpage. Her, like, fucking... She's just as skeevy as the people that are looking for the modeling she, pics. She does even say, like, you might you might have come here looking for my modeling pics or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, she's like, we'll get to that, don't worry. You just have to watch this 50-minute advertisement for tea that makes you shit, but I'm gonna spin it that it makes you thin. So, I mean, if do you want to start in the Daphne dilemma? Because my dilemma is that Daphne is an e-girl. <laughs> God. Um, I just want to quickly add first glance the opening credits. Oh, okay. It really makes me think of, like, David Fincher. Is that wrong? No, I don't think so. I had a number of names I wrote down here. Like, it was almost, it was almost like a Mad Men style opening or a true detective. It felt promising. <laughs> I don't know quite what to say. But it it really felt like it had a very promising vibe as maybe like a different take on a Scooby-Doo TV show. Especially the way that like we see the simplified animation running around and you hear these little clips from Scooby-Doo series over the years. You hear like, where are you era Frank Welker? And, and, and that is admittedly somewhat appropriate because this uh, this movie does focus in a lot on the history of the Scooby gang, and ties it into continuity. A little bit, I suppose. Now, we get this, like, dark, gritty, David Fincher, for lack of anybody else to say, opening. And then throughout the whole fucking movie, we've got back-to-back 
Edgar Wright wannabe quick cuts. Ooh, yeah, I was gonna save this for later, but the quick cuts are jarring. I just want to talk about this, like, fucking dissidence. Yep. Between this dark opening compared to, like, an Edgar Wright quick cut for comedy. It's awful. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's tonally dissonant. That's the exact word you used, and it's exactly right. Also, Edgar Wright doesn't do those quick cuts mid-scene and then continue on with the same fucking scene. Those are meant to establish, we're moving on, people. Yeah, it's like, it's, and it's, it's only used in, like, the establishing part of the film, or he uses it as part of the film language. Whereas Scooby-Doo, like, this movie just feels like it's doing it. It's just doing it over and over again, and I don't think it knows why. It's going for style, but it's not going for a necessarily consistent style. It's a style without any substance. Because you can enjoy a certain director's style without absorbing what that style really is. Like the dark, moody opening. Oh man, I loved David Fincher's girl with the dragon tattoo. This is exactly how he opened it. That's how we're going to open a Scooby-Doo movie. Like, no, stop it. But I, and I would have been fine if we had gotten like an actually like cohesive David Fincher style Scooby-Doo movie. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't want a Scooby-Doo movie that's like seven. That was a bad example because I I don't even like Seven. But, yeah, but I'm not like, saying I like, wouldn't take that Scooby Doo movie. I'm saying that someone like just sat down and watched some white male directors and decided which elements of each they were gonna pluck without understanding why those directors do that in the first place. Well, and and I would even say like look at the you can do it in a way that's still appropriate to Scooby Doo. Look at the David Fincher style episode of Community. That one took all of his, like, grit and trademark and put it in... To 22 minutes of yeah. someone's dropping quarters down butt cracks. A network-appropriate version of David Fincher. But it didn't then also do Edgar Wright-style quick cuts and goofs. It does... It, it's, it's not consistent. And that is really this movie's biggest flaw. And it just also destroys the pacing. Edgar yeah. Wright's movies are like so, like they're 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 little pocket watches, where all the gears are moving in tandem. This is like you threw pocket watches in a soup. And I would even go further to say, in in like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, Hot Fuzz especially, what those cuts in that style are doing is symmetry. It's it's showing a symmetry between where the film began and where it ended. There's no symmetry to Frank and Creepy. It was also a satire on like police dramas showing yeah, you all both the of those fast, fast paced grittiness of like cop shows showing you all the excitement, whereas Edgar Wright was just like, nah, I'm gonna show you all the boring shit about cops. Like mugshots yes. and paperwork and shit, you know? But like, what what Frank and Creepy does, when it does do those shots, it's just like it, you're just brains oh, a, a creepy paw, a Frankenstein, a lady singing, done. Yeah. What? What does that tell me? Anyway. Yes. The point is, we're not <laughs> auteurs, but even we can recognize when a movie doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. Exactly. It's <laughs> It's frustrating when, like, that was an, it's an actual filmic flaw. 
of the movie. It's not, you know, we tend on this podcast to talk a lot about characters. No! We do. We really do. But this is a filmic issue. So our form, yeah. Should I give you a premise? That might help. That might help. I, I can't believe I was about to dive into a character earlier, and I hadn't even given you a premise yet. How dare I? Velma inherits her great-great-uncle's mansion, which holds dark secrets she's tried to keep hidden for years. Going to Transylvania, Pennsylvania, Velma sets out to clear her family's name, while the gang's friendship and their biggest phobias are put to the test. So who, who do you want to start with? I say Daphne, since she opens the film somewhat inexplicably in retrospect. When it comes to the phobias, she's the most problematic, so we might as well get her the fuck out of the way. Yeah, so this movie, which, which as I sit here, is really much more about Velma, starts on Daphne doing an iCarly-style web show. Called Jeepers, it's Daphne. Admittedly, great name. Not really. Uh, <laughs> no, it's terrible. I mean, no one would have known that during the Creeper episode, she said Jeepers, it's the Creeper. And Jeepers, it's Daphne doesn't exactly have that ring. But she's here uh, with all her fans, the uh, Daphne Addicts, I believe she calls them. Bad name as well. Oh, no, da- or Daphnatics, because it's like fanatic and the uh, from Daphne. That's that, better. That makes more sense. That's more an issue of me reading my own notes. And you type them. Yeah, my fingers aren't fast. What this whole opening sequence does is it gives us a chance to reminisce about the Halkion days of early Scooby-Doo. Uh, they actually go over a lot of, like, Scooby-Doo, where are you, and the Scooby-Doo show villains. We're talking about Mamba Wamba. We're talking about old Iron Face. We're talking about Redbeard's ghost. Are we talking about Redbeard's ghost? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was the other one? Uh, the green ghosts. The phantoms. Yes. The gackling green ghosts, as we call them on this podcast. That everyone calls them, because that's better than just calling them the phantom. Yeah. It's too vague. (laughs) They might have called them the shadow phantoms, but they were green, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Get on board. Daphne's live vlog is is somehow being interrupted by people that are watching it yeah like it's a call-in vlog like she's she's running she's got an open zoom call yeah her is it a vlog or a zoom call how does velma have control over screens that are popping in and out because you see daphne's trying to talk about like i don't know old iron face whatever and then Someone cuts in looking for Velma, and Velma's just like, no thank you, that's a scam, and hits something on her own keyboard, and then knocks that screen off the screen. Okay, now, does everyone do this, or does only Velma do it? Because if only Velma does it, I could totally believe that she's, like, the producer Ah, of Jeepers at Staffney. Then Velma cuts in, she's the first one to appear in this Zoom call, and she's just like, hey Daph, I've been watching. Obviously, if she was a producer, she'd be watching, but she's framing it as, like, I popped in to watch my best friend's vlog. Right, because, like, okay, who was the boy on iCarly? Freddy. Freddy. You didn't have Freddy being like, hey, I caught the show this week. No, you were standing behind the camera right there. He was introduced at the beginning of every iCarly episode. Carly would point and say, our technical producer, Freddy. And then her brother was an artist. He was wildly successful, inexplicably. 
What do you mean inexplicably? But, well, I mean, the art scene's wild. But the, boy, they didn't like that doorman. <laughs> yep, Billy's showing off his advanced welcome knowledge to, of iCarly. Welcome to iCarly and you, Carly. An iCarly fan cast for 2020. <laughs> I don't know. Where was I? I, I swear I think you were about to point. start talking about you know, Gibby. We talked about how we have so many notes for this. And yeah. I derail us into an iCarly discussion. Not 20 minutes in. <laughs> Apologies to no one. So Daphne is on her vlog. How does that actually lead us to Transylvania? Uh, well, she's on her vlog. They're talking about uh, all these old monsters, because everyone's cutting in to talk about them. Shaggy mm -hmm. and Scooby talk about the green ghosts. Fred cuts in with, um... Shit, what does Fred cut in with? Just a friendly smile and wave. Okay. Uh, Daphne herself is talking about Old Iron Face. I want to say right away that she is also confused as to what the fuck Old Iron Face was supposed to be. Because Old Iron Face surfed around on metal electronic sharks. Yeah. Have you not ever read The Man in the Iron Mask? There's a whole chapter where he is astride two sharks. I have not read Just fucking no. zooming it through the Pacific. Because I'm pretty sure that's one of those classic novels that's like 900 pages long and super fucking boring. So no, I have not read that. But if there's a chapter that has him zooming around I on know. sharks, and I'm going to read it. And if it's not, I'm going to have to kill you. I, well, that seems... So I hope it was worth it for a dumb joke. I, I, you know what? If the sharks are there, it was. If it would be worth it to learn that, I'll take that risk. Velma is on this vlog, and I guess the people that need to get in contact with Velma are somehow tracking her every movement on the internet, waiting for a chance to jump in and be like, hey, I'm a lawyer, you need to sign for this property that you've been awarded in an inheritance. And she says, at first, no, it's a scam, clicks him off. He jumps back on, and she still doesn't believe it, but then everyone's just like, let's do it. Yeah, I don't find this an appropriate way to legally contact someone. <laughs> this is a, a teenage girl's vlog that you happen to see the contact you're looking for on. How does he jump onto the Zoom call? There is no way that Mystery Incorporated doesn't have some sort of public email address he could have contacted them on. Send a DM to their verified account. He's a lawyer. Why doesn't he send some... Mail. Physical mail? Yeah. Stamped with his lawyer seal or whatever the fuck lawyers do. I I have a quote here. The beauty of the internet is freedom of information. But I guess Thelma's really good at hiding hers, except for this one slip up. Other than that, she's gone dark. <laughs> Living off the grid. <laughs> and yet she's the most technologically advanced of them all. All her iPads made out of wood. Well, she's just logged in on those on pseudonyms. I mean, that is how you stay a little more anonymous on yeah. the internet. I was making a joke, like that Futurama episode where Bender gets a downgrade and he just becomes made of wood somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so they end up, I'm going to move us forward a little bit, because they do decide to go to Transylvania. And they're on this train. And Daphne's checking out the news of their own trip on the Teen Mystery Solver Dish gossip website. There's enough of them in the Hanna-Barbera universe that that seems like a viable website to have. Yeah. I like the idea 
that in this universe, their, like, teen vogue is just filled with mystery solvers. And I guess it would make sense for Daphne to be a web influencer if that was true in the universe. At one point, I think they're talking about the backwardness of the place they're going. Because they're going to Pennsylvania, but it's like a Transylvanian Amish community. Yes. Like, these people are living, like, pre-World War I Germanic lives for some reason. Yep. And Daphne's freaking out that she's not going to be able to, like, take her hair straightener with her and her hair dryer. And, like, what is she going to do with her hair? She's going to have bad hair days while she's here. Foreshadowing. I think, like, a, a reason why women get so excited for vacations is because they leave their fucking hair dryers at home. This is a week of total freedom where you don't have to style your hair. And more than that, if all women just stop styling their hair, the great equalizer. Now none of us have to style our hair to keep up with people that have really good hair. Like me. Y'all I... could take a break. <laughs> I agree with you, but what I'm gonna say is, based on that, like, Mystery Solver Dish website, this isn't a vacation for Daphne. This is a job. She is coming here to Mystery Solve... Which is where she gets her her notoriety. She doesn't know she... there's a mystery until Velma reveals her sordid family past. I mean, it's already being covered on the sites. All her life is a mystery now. We also learn in this universe that Daphne's cheerleader. Has that ever been brought up before? Maybe. But we, we know she's a cheerleader. I, what was she in the second set of live action movies? Was she just a theater kid? Uh, yeah, theater. Theater kid, for sure. That's different than cheerleader. It is, yes, obviously, Billy, but you can do more than one thing in high school. Not in a Hanna-Barbera movie! It's too complex! But we know that Daphne's a cheerleader because she cheers for everyone on the train in a very cheerleader style. They're plummeting to their death. And instead of doing something useful, she does a cheerleader cheer. Ah, but that does lead them to do something useful when they form a human pyramid and act as some sort of, like, a uh, sail or counterweight for the train as it's plummeting off the tracks. Real quick, I'd like to point out that, uh, like, a rogue mad dentist is running through our apartment. There is a drill happening somewhere, and I can't pinpoint its location. If you're picking that up in the podcast... I apologize. Yeah. It is a random drill somewhere in our apartment. <laughs> if you are listening to this while you yourself are at the dentist, do try to distinguish between which drills are real and which are only on the audio. Why do you have to cut in with shit like that? Now I've forgotten what my second point was. Because I, I thought that was pretty funny. I was, I was just vibing with it. I will apologize. Your vibes are bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> Daphne is actually the one who dubs this monster the Franken-Creep, like we had any doubt, because that is totally a Daphne name. She needs to eat gluten-free, non-hydrogenated oils with no shellfish. Those are her immediate dietary requirements. Gluten-free, Daphne. Don't be that bitch. I do have to applaud the continuity, though, because we've known for a while now that she is allergic to shellfish. And should we keep that going here? I like to see that. They arrive at the castle. 
Velma is shown around and uh, has a bit of an existential crisis that demands her breaking up with the rest of the crew while they go do something else. Yeah, they, they split up. They go to a street festival that's happening in this uh, Germanic town from the 1900s in Pennsylvania that manufactures torches. Pains me when I think about that stream of words that I have to put together to describe this fucking place. They're very good torches, Emil. The curse of this castle is that any dinkly that steps foot in it is like going to go crazy with the family curse of figuring out a Frankenstein monster and all loved ones around them will suffer their worst fears and then I guess die. Yeah, it, it was very specifically worded. Here's where the movie, like, it, it feels like this movie is in two very distinct parts. First part, them getting to the castle. Second part, watching everyone disintegrate because of their worst fears. Now, Daphne's worst fear, way back when this movie came out, caused a huge stir. I actually remember this as being a issue with this film. Because Daphne's worst fear is that she's going to lose her looks. Yes. Her smooth, silky hair becomes a little frizzled, and she goes up from like a size 4 to like a size 12, which I, is... I think it's specifically a size 8 in the film. That's the average size of a woman in America. Yeah. She's gone up to the average size of a woman in America, and that is her worst fear. And it's never directly said in the movie, like, oh, no, I'm a fat, disgusting pig or something mm -hmm. like that. That would be, like, overtly offensive. But at the same time that she's so fucking shallow, she can't imagine gaining a few pounds. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a she lost her looks type of thing. And, like, yeah, she is a little bigger. Her hair is frizzy. My thing is, it is instant. It's not like over the course of the movie she starts gaining weight. It is like an instant inflation. Why would she not automatically assume that this was an allergy to shellfish? Why wouldn't <laughs> she assume, oh no, there was shellfish in that. I'm having an allergic reaction. I've had it before. I know what its effects are. Spoilers, gang. She doesn't actually get fat. It is a mix of allergic reaction and inflated fat suit. Which I have no which, idea why that was included. How are you so disconnected from your own body, you don't <laughs> know when you're wearing an inflatable Halloween costume? She's got like one of those sumo wrestler yes. costumes with just a Germanic dress over top of it. And like, okay, and also the thing with her hair frizzing up, Daphne would know how to take care of that, wouldn't she? Hair is more easily fixed than body, so yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why it has to be that at the end of the movie she realizes she's having an allergic reaction and a fat suit. I don't, yeah, What's it shouldn't have been both. of the allergic reaction? I mean, the, the inflatable suit comes into play... Because Daphne and Fred are trapped underground after some sort of mining accident, and they're running out of oxygen. And then Daphne pierces the suit and realizes, oh, it's filled with air, me and Fred can breathe this and will not die. But it, like, you just, you already put allergic reaction on the table for swelling, like, did that only swell her face? 
Is that the reaction there? I don't know. Her face doesn't seem any bigger. It's really just her hair that seems bigger. It's it's odd, and it, it leads to her obviously feeling very self-conscious about herself. She thinks that, like, you know, no one will ever be attracted to her again. Fred doesn't even notice. She's just as beautiful to him as always. Like, it's, it's... Your body's not the only thing you have to contribute to society, Daphne. I'm sorry that you're so fucking steeped yeah. like, in internalized hey. misogyny that this is what you think of all of your friends in the world around you. Daphne, remember when you noticed that the fabric was a synthetic blend and hence it couldn't be a real ghost? That was you contributing. You did real good there. Why, after she quote-unquote gains all this weight, does she not go back to her room in the castle and take off the dress to examine <laughs> her it. body? If I was, like, randomly swelling... I'm gonna examine that spot of my body. <laughs> like, Even if there was, like, this whole mystery going on, yeah, you would, like, go to a room alone. Maybe not your bedroom if you couldn't get there quick enough, but you would... This is something to worry about, Daphne. This isn't just, oh, I've been cursed to be larger. You're... If you're... Listeners, if your body does this, just check check yourself. Lest you wreck yourself. <laughs> a message from doctors. You think Daphne's not checking herself out in the mirror all the time? Her first reaction to this would be to let me see myself naked. And once that happens, I'm wearing a fucking inflatable <laughs> Halloween sumo suit. Yeah. What's up with this? It is. I feel like Daphne's issue could have been easily solved with a, just a little bit of... But, like, investigation. The, the writer of this movie immediately assumes that as soon as a woman gains a few pounds, she's gonna lock herself away in a closet in a chemise that she never takes off so that she's never truly naked to look at herself because she's so repulsed. Now, so the way the curse is actually worded, it's anyone who gets too close to the legacy will lose everything they love and be destroyed. So, is there an alternative to what we saw Daphne go through here? Is there something, is, could she lose something else she loves? I understand them probably not wanting to do the Fred angle again. Especially because, after the way we spoke to them after the last movie. Because not only does that once again make Daphne's whole story only about Freddy, it takes Freddy out of this movie. Because yes. Fred can't be around if her worst fear is losing Fred. There are things other than Daphne's body and hair that I think she would be upset to lose. I mean, you already set up her, her website. Could she lose her fans? Her reputation? Reputation could work. A couple bad, like, paparazzi pics. I think, like, other series and movies have looked into it deeper that Daphne has to work harder to be taken seriously to get past the fact that she's, like, an attractive woman. Right. And she understands, yes, I like being beautiful, but at the same time, take me the fuck seriously. So I think maybe they should have, like, infantilized Ooh. her. No one takes her seriously. Everyone's gaslighting Daphne. No one thinks she has anything to contribute yeah. but her looks. Do it like a monkey's paw. Where at first it's like, oh, great, they're t you know, I'm getting treated so much like this in the village. But then, like, she's just totally dismissed for anything but her looks. And then while Velma's off having her existential crisis, 
Daphne could be the one that figures out everything, but no one's listening to her because they're all fucking gaslighting her. Like she's a woman on Twitter, which she would be. She's got to advertise that vlog somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, podcasts don't just happen. There's a part where Fred is going through his part of the curse and Daphne gets upset at him for feeling the way that he's feeling, but at the same time kind of expects everyone to see what's happened to her as the worst thing that could have ever happened. Right. You know, like, Fred has also lost a tangible thing in this curse. Let him mourn? Well, I mean, I'm okay with that for the sake of the story. Like, part of the conflict of the movie absolutely can be each of them has lost something important to them so that that is creating a conflict with each other. You know, lose something you love and be destroyed. So I'm fine with that being, like, the risk to this. But I just don't like the idea of Daphne having absolutely no empathy. Mm -hmm. Fred lost something he loved. Shaggy and Scooby lose something they love. The least you can do is be like, I feel ya, bro. Like, yeah. And I think the fact that because what Daphne lost is purely superficial here, it makes it seem a lot worse. So the, mov the movie failed Daphne in a lot of ways. My last note for Daphne is that she would rather go down a creepy, dark, secret tunnel than look in a mirror on a bad hair day. Don't risk your life further by just walking down any creepy, abandoned tunnel that you find. Is bad hair really worth dying over? So shallow. Yeah. This is the shallowest Daphne I think we've seen since a pup. One hundred percent. Now, Could if you, you imagine investigative journalist Daphne reacting like this? If she had swelled up on Zombie Island, this would be her reaction? No. No, she'd just say, oh, was there shellfish in that gumbo? I appear to be having an allergic reaction. I will be in my room. Um, yeah. Daphne, you're in Louisiana. You probably should have assumed everything <laughs> has shellfish in it. Well, there she took her EpiPen first, so. Now, if you want to talk about a legitimate loss, I think we need to talk about Fred. Uh, before his personal loss, though, do you have any notes before his end of the curse starts? I my first note is Fred belches. I wrote, Freddy did a burp. That's a belch. If ever there was a belch animated, it's what Freddy did. It's very strange to see it from Fred. What even made him belch? Do you remember? It was like one of the quick cuts, and they're at the malt shop. Yes. So I guess, you know, he had too much soda, and his tummy it was his, full of bubbles. made his tummy rumbly, he had to do a burp. But then, Freddy is the first one to be affected by the curse. Yeah. They, they're in the malt shop, and they're trying to convince Velma to go, look, you've inherited a castle. Curses aren't real. You yourself have been trying to debunk that for, like, literally your whole life. Let's just go. And she, Velma asks Fred, is the mystery machine ready? What does that mean? Gassed up. The mystery machine is always ready. It is. It's a beautiful... And I wrote down here, Fred is very, very into the mystery machine in this movie. He's buffing it. He's making sure it doesn't have any fingerprints. It's a beautiful piece of machinery. And then it explodes. 
It's beeping as they come out of the solicitor's office. And he says, I know every sound that my baby makes and that's not one of them. And then it explodes. And admittedly, yes, we've seen the mystery machine explode before. <laughs> we had to watch her die in Mystery Incorporated. That was Fred's choice. Yeah. For the greater good, he sacrificed his baby. This was an assassination. This, this was murder. This is what Daphne is telling Fred to get over later in the movie. This wasn't, um, here's a sacrifice I'm willing to make to show what the stakes are. This is, the villain has attacked us at home. And Fred even says, this time, it's personal. Watches that van explode, solitaire tear down his cheek. Now it's personal. And he legitimately spends the rest of the movie grieving the mystery. He, ke he keeps remembering things that are in the mystery machine or suggest that they go over to the mystery machine. And then he sees it explode in his mind's eye. And he's like, dang it! <laughs> that is a cut I actually will approve of. I like, I like how it always cuts to the same shot of the mystery machine exploding as, every time Fred's heart breaks. He has serious PTSD over his van all this movie. And at first I was like, is that part of the curse? Because that just seems like, you know, Fred would be sad over his van exploding. Like, this is... He lost what he loves. But... His sweet ride. I don't know how that's part of a curse, you know? If everything... but Because Scooby and Shaggy's part of the curse is also physical, along with Daphne's. But Freddy's is that his van explodes. Like, that doesn't feel right to a curse, to be honest. The curse on the other members of the gang feels like a trick. Like, ooh, we tricked you to make you think that you lost this thing. They blew up the mystery machine. That's not a trick. Our girl is dead. I guess after years of psychological profiling by the villains of this movie on the gang, they determined that Fred was unflappable in every way but the van. What? And I would also say... Which is a lie. Have you met this boy? He's very flammable. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, you know, one of the things is, as we'll learn, part of the villain's motivation is revenge on the Mystery Machine. Nope. Is revenge on Mystery Incorporated. So blowing up the Mystery Machine was probably as much fun for them as it was painful for Fred. But still, when you see him trying to, like, buy a little souvenir antenna ball... <laughs> this would be perfect! The Mystery Machine would love this! Dang it! <laughs> He can make a van-shaped shadow puppet with his hands. Can we talk about this? What shape is he putting his hands in? He, well, uh, there's the windshield for sure. So you got a little hole there. And the, it's very square. Yeah, so you see the shadow and it's his wrist. And then it turns into a perfect rectangle of a van. The wrists are together. The wrists are together because there's only one. This isn't good audio. <laughs> Why am I actually trying to make it with my hands? My favorite thing there is how Freddy actually cries, vroom, vroom. <laughs> like, he's doing the shadow puppet, and he's going like, vroom, vroom. He's got PTSD. He really does. And he, because of his traumatic loss of the van, goes batshit in the fight with the Baron, who is one of the villains of this piece. Because he realizes now, without the van, he has nothing to live for. 
So why fear death? He has nothing to lose. I wrote down here in all caps, it galvanizes him. He's literally not afraid to die anymore. So we've had a Fred that has, like, action man Fred thrown punches before. Fred in this movie throws saw blades and wields a pitchfork. Freddy is ready to kill. Freddy's ready to kill. He's ready to die. Nothing matters anymore. What's a life sentence for mass murder without his van? He does sort of have a snapback to reality moment um, when he's in a workshop. And we don't 100% see what he does there until later. This was before the fight, though. Yeah. I, th- I think it was a, a, a little moment of like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then like, it does help to focus him and galvanize him for that final fight. What we later learn he's doing in the workshop is he's built a new mystery machine. He's built a mystery machine carriage. Pulled by horses. I'm shocked he didn't paint the horses, to be honest. That would have been unnecessarily cruel. (laughs) (laughs) Just slap some orange flowers on their ass, it's fine. Pretty outside of the mystery machine, though. They are on a train, because they can't take the van, obviously, going to Pennsylvania. The Baron starts wrecking the train. It's going too fast around perilous corners. There's other passengers in here. They need to save them before something terrible happens. I think it's Velma that says people will die if we don't help. In as so many words, I'm paraphrasing. So Fred runs into the carriage that holds all the other passengers. And he sees all these, like, Adam's family looking motherfuckers. And he says, I think they might already be dead. (laughs) (laughs) And he gives up on saving them and they all go home. He sees the, this train full of inbred Pennsylvanians, and this is what death looks like to Freddy. Ultimately, with that train, he gets everyone out of the train, or at least into a car that can more slowly approach. But he sends the engine hurtling towards City Hall in this Transylvanian town. I think it's officially just a clock tower, so maybe there's not as many innocent civilians, but there's got to be at least one. Fred had no way of knowing that that building was empty. Like, I thought it was City Hall. That's not where I would have sent a train. He crashes that train into a building probably containing innocent people that are now dead, and then he opens the car of the train that he's in with all the passengers, and he says, No, 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 no need to thank us. For what? There was a knitting circle in that clock tower tonight. <laughs> Love to get on up the clock tower and knit. They could have done it ground level. They could have. Maybe, but... the, look, this, this town. If you're going to book the clock tower, you're going up. This town is living pre-World War I Germanic lives. True enough. A glockenspiel is the most exciting thing these people can hope to have in their lives. Well, now it's you gone. You better believe I'm putting my knitting circle in the glockenspiel. <laughs> uh, like I said before, Fred still loves Daphne. Daphne questions her weight and he says, I didn't even notice. You always look great to me, Daphne. Which is very Fred. Very in that Fred. He doesn't notice anything that changes around him. <laughs> but he knows when to say something sweet. Yeah. But also, <laughs> like, it shows that He loves Daphne for who she is in his life, not the way she looks. And I love that. Love that. 
something I didn't love as much. When he almost dies from a gas leak? No, I didn't care about that. Treasure. I'm sorry. You didn't care that Freddy passes out from a gas leak and is just seen lying dead in a cavern until Daphne gives him the breath of life? I'd figured he'd be fine. But Frank Welker says treasure in this movie. Someone caught it. He's been saying treasure, I think, for a while. It's the first time I really heard it. He put an emphasis on the eh, and I know he's a treasure boy. Is it just because he's getting older, do you think? Do you think he's losing that upper register? No, I honestly feel that, you know, voice directors are just getting better. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Frank, could you pronounce that word correctly? You know, in English? It's treasure, buddy. Let's one more take, please. They don't have limited supplies of reel-to-reel to record this shit on so they can get more takes. I'm pretty sure in Mystery Incorporated, when they talk about the cursed treasure, he says treasure. Well, you know what? I probably talked about it then, too. The movie ends with him getting a new mystery machine. Awarded to him by, like, a secret division of the U.S. government. It flies. <laughs> they gave it rocket propulsion, yes. Yes, Fred, they did. Fred has a flying mystery machine now. And I'm not talking about the jet from 13 Ghosts. Uh, my first note for Shaggy and Scooby is actually not until they're on the train. Do you have anything earlier than that? No. They do precious little up to the point where they're in the train and Velma says they're about to be thrown into the abyss because it's off track or whatever happens to it. And he says that he would rather be thrown into pudding than an abyss. Who wouldn't? I think that goes without saying. I would love to be thrown into pudding. Although, like, drowning in a a non-Newtonian fluid is, again, something I've talked about as being terrifying. But But I think, think, A, he didn't say he had to drown in it. He just wanted to be thrown into it. And B, we've seen our boy eat his way out of worse. How deep is the abyss? Is it... Like, is it it literally an infinite abyss? Because that might not be the worst way to die. You would just, like you know, die of dehydration three days into the fall. And up to that point, you're like flying. That's pretty neat. Well, it depends what sort of abyss we're talking about. If if it's a, an abyss out in, you know, the abyss of space, that's infinite. But if it's like an abyss that we're just calling an abyss that's really more of a chasm, then that will have an end. Probably I, with lava. I, it's not Minecraft. I was doing... <laughs> I was just the having... Earth has lava. How deep do you think chasms on Earth go? If we're talking about one that someone is calling an abyss, I think that chasm's going right down. I was trying to add a little whimsy just by being like, "Oh, look, it's just like an infinite hole he can fall in." Obviously, anything on Earth is just going to end with him cracking his skull on the ground. <laughs> At least that's also a quick way to die. I had an earlier note uh, for Shaggy and Scooby, just saying. That they have no interest in Carpathian delicacies. Scooby spares a spider's life at one point and it winks at him. And he's into it. And I'm not sure how to feel about this. Because it's never called again. Like, these spiders don't rally to save Scooby for his kind benevolence. There's no alliance between the spiders and the dogs. It's just that Scooby doesn't squish a spider. It winks at him flirtatiously. And he's just like, oh, you... Like, he's into it. Yeah. After that, 
Shaggy seems to think that someone invisible is playing an organ in this house. Yes! As if he's never heard a radio in his life. Or that, like, maybe it's just someone not directly in his eyeline? Yeah. He has the object permanence of a baby. But I'm I'm not like, oh, who who are those men wailing in the halls? And, you know, you're just like, that's Imagine Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would be caught dead listening to Imagine Dragons. God. <laughs> Shaggy and Scooby, so they don't eat their Carpathian delicacies that were so lovingly prepared for them on the train. But they do almost eat rejected body parts for a Frankenstein monster. Fresh out of the fridge. Raw. Covered in maggots. Raw maggot-covered intestine. That's what our boy wants. Delicious. There is a joke in here about how they're going to walk to the village because they can't take the van, and Fred's sad about that, so Daphne's just like, it's better for the environment. We leave a smaller carbon footprint. And Scooby holds up his large foot and is upset because he has a large foot. So I he's think gonna... he's now, he's like, oh, he's... we're supposed to leave small footprints. That's very difficult he's for me. He's leaving a big footprint and yeah. he's upset. And the word joke, I use very <laughs> loosely there. Yep. Because that's not one. That's not a joke. Uh, they win an eating contest. Surprise, surprise. Uh, where they have to eat donuts with fish eggs. Their prize for winning the eating contest is some traditional lederhosen, both in uh, skinny hippie boy size and large dog size. Good that they had those prepared. They change into the lederhosen after winning without leaving the stage or covering themselves from the <laughs> gathered crowd. Now, just what sort of festival is this, Transylvania, Pennsylvania? Hot one. Oh, you gotta believe it's a hot festival. We see, well, Scooby's not really an issue. He wasn't wearing clothes to begin with. But Shaggy, Shaggy's getting it out. <laughs> Matthew Lillard's blood sausage. Please don't. They lose their appetites. That's their curse. Yeah, which, again is something that I thought had one cause and turned out to be another. I thought the cause was they just did a whole eating contest. They are now full. But what happened was the lederhosen were just too tight, corseting them around their stomachs. Nuh-uh, no. No? The lederhosen had needles in the ass that pressed onto the acupuncture points. That was it. That took away appetite but increased bravery. I thought it was literally just like they tightened their belt to stop hunger pangs. I thought that's what it was. No, they they have needles in their asses. Which is probably for the best because then they would have had to eat blood sausage otherwise. Right. That is the least appetizing thing, I think. Besides blood pudding, that is the least appetizing thing you could make me eat. Did their bravery actually increase in this movie? Yeah. Did it? They volunteer to go after the monster with no, like, Scooby Snacks is bribing. They're just like, we'll do it. I thought that was just also because they were full. <laughs> I think, honestly, I thought it was honestly just, oh, yeah, no, we don't need anything to eat. We're not hungry. Well, apparently the acupuncture points on the ass decrease appetite and increase bravery all at the same time. 
again, just like a little simpler ways to do it. Like by two levels at this point. We get a chase sequence, specifically just with Shaggy and Scooby. Uh, it's to the tune of a Transylvanian polka. And it's no, di- don't say that it's to the tune of a Transylvanian polka, implying that it's a polka from Transylvania. The song's lyrics are Transylvania polka. <laughs> yeah, you're, all right. It's the Transylvania polka. And it's done in an art style that is sort of what we've seen in the opening sequences for a lot of these movies. It's yeah. the simplified art style. They changed the art style mid-movie. Didn't care for it. Also didn't care that Shaggy is lovingly caressed by the slimy tentacle of a monster, <laughs> and he's into it. This is his Scooby Spider moment. It's happening with tentacles. No, I do not consent to watch this. <laughs> I wanted to make a note here. At one point, Shaggy and Scooby are strapped down. They get their leader hose and ripped off of them. And in the next scene, we see them in their regular clothes, who redressed them. But during the end credits of this movie, they put up a little, like, YouTube vlogger asking the same question. That was a trap you laid for me, Scooby-Doo. And I felt like a fool when I saw it. My last note for these two is that Velma is trying to steal their brains to put into the Frankenstein monster. Between the two of them, there's gonna be about one, she figures, so she ties down both of them. Shaggy says he can't lose his brain, he just got his hair the way he likes it. So how come Shaggy's curse wasn't vanity? Wasn't his hair. (laughs) That, That could have been one. He wouldn't like that at all. Don't like seeing Shaggy's ass. Uh, yeah, when they're explaining how they lose their appetite, there's a close-up of the pressure points over underwear, but then there's, like, a medical-grade circulatory system that goes up on the screen, and you you do technically see Shaggy's bare ass. I saw the skin of Shaggy's buttock. I get rid of a person's appetite. Prick him in the ass. Sorry, and that that just appeared on our screen, so I had to mention it. Um, but uh, yeah, what's happening with them and possibly having their brains scooped out of their skull is everyone's in real danger here. Daphne and Fred do nearly die to a gas leak in, in a mining shaft, and they're only saved because Daphne is wearing an inflatable air suit. Shaggy and Scooby almost get their heads cut open with a chainsaw, and their brains wrenched from their form. Scary days. Moving on to our last main gang member, the Velma Vision. Yes, the Baroness Velma Vision, actually. She is the first one to appear on Daphne's vlog. Daphne, at the time, had been talking about Velma's mystery-solving ability, her brains, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, Velma then says, my brains solve it, but... but I'm paraphrasing again because it's been a few days since we watched this, but then she goes on to say that it's Daphne's magnetism and charm that get them into most of the situations where they can, like, actually solve these things. Yeah. I like this. Women holding up women. Lovely to see. They're gonna all tear each other down fairly soon, so it's nice to see everyone supporting each other at the beginning. We learn through this, uh, lawyer bursting in on the webcast 
that Velma is now a woman of property. She has been hiding a big secret of her family's legacy. That she is not Velma Dinkley, but Baroness Velma von Dinkelstein. Von Dinkelstein is the family name. We get a flashback to her family arriving at Ellis Island and the Germanic name being Americanized. Yeah. Englishized, if you will. That flashback, Billy, the baby in the German woman's arms. Yes. Is that meant to be Velma? Because they're arriving in Ellis Island (laughs) in like the 20s. Let Let me look when Ellis Island stopped being used. Like they have pulled in to New York in the 1920s, and I am to believe that 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 blushing baby girl is Velma Dinkley? Yeah, so it would have had to have been before 1924 if that was them coming through Ellis Island as immigrants. So let's say maybe that was Velma's mom. Or grandmother? Because even a a grandmother being born in the 20s is probably right. My grandmother was born in 1934. Yeah, so let them be a little bit older in this timeline, and that can probably line up. It's Velma's grandmother that was arriving as a baby. Then why go to all the trouble of making the baby look like Velma herself? Was she not born in America? I, um, I wasn't paying attention when the flashback popped up on the screen. Do her parent, do the baby's parents look like Velma's? Do the adult von Dinkelstein's? look like Velma. Or just the baby. I mean, they they look like... Germans? They, yeah. Okay. <laughs> they, they look like, I don't know, plumper, older versions of what you would assume Velma would look like. You know, she's not exactly known for her beauty. So anyone in her family is probably not known for their beauty either. Marcy in the What's New episode was an offshoot. Yeah. She's very far out on the family tree of Dinkley's. <laughs> Velma's going into this whole spiel at the malt shop, and everyone start and everyone stopped listening to her story partway through and just started googling the information instead. This wasn't the malt shop; they were on, oh, the, on train. the train. I knew it was one of the two. She's getting called out left, right, and center on her orange socks today. Good. This is not a good look, Velma. Maybe change it up every once in a while. Uh, we learn that Velma has been sort of running away for her family legacy because her great-great-uncle Basil Dinkelstein is essentially Victor Frankenstein. We see in another flashback that Dinkelstein trying to bring a monster to life actually inspired Mary Shelley to create her story. Who we see. In this movie, we, we see, see Mary, Shelley. Mary Shelley. So I have her written down as a minor mention, and we'll just I'm just going to say it now, that Velma's family inspired her book. Wow, Scooby-Doo, way to take the woman's imaginative genius and genre creation out of her fucking hands and hand it immediately to a man who is real within this universe. So would you rather that they didn't have Mary Shelley at all? I like that they gave Mary Shelley still, like, the shout-out. Like, you're the author, you're the creation of this. No. If you do stuff like this, where you take the woman's creation out of her mind to make it something else, you gotta leave 
her original creation completely out of it. This is a huge problem that I have with that Netflix series, yes. The Haunting of Hill House. That one has a huge problem because they're literally making the author... The, uh, they, they took characters from the book and made them siblings, but they also took Shirley Jackson, the feminist fucking icon writer of House and Haunted Hill, and made her a character as well. Within the narrative, one of the siblings is an author, and it's not the sibling named Shirley. They gave it to the man character. He is the author of The Haunting of Hill House now. You have taken Shirley Jackson's work out of her hands and put it into an unremarkable man's hands within a narrative that you're trying to link to her. Like, yeah. you can't do shit like this to women creators. I will say, in this narrative, I think Mary Shelley took the inspiration of what Dinkelstein was doing and created a, a much more interesting story because the monster that we see Dinkelstein make is not like a man with thoughts and feelings who is treated as a monster. It's just a fucking hodgepodge of animal parts. But this is what Velma is running away from because Velma comes from a world of logic and science and she doesn't believe that an actual monster maker could be a part of her family legacy. Which I take also umbrage with because this is a science monster. This isn't yes. saying my great-grandfather made a unicorn. Like, he had a unicorn and talked with fairies. Like, um, Arthur Conan Doyle did. It's, it's... Or... He, he made a science monster. It's prostheses. The real Ghostbusters episode, Egon's Dragon where Egon talks about how his whole family is full of scientists except for this one crazy offshoot that was a wizard that claimed to have a dragon. And That's the way to do it. Egon keeps that quiet because that is a weird offshoot. But this movie is almost framing it like Velma is the weird offshoot in her supernatural family because she <laughs> follows science. But that's, that, that's what this is. It's a... Taking animals and sewing them together and using medicine and know-how of anatomy to put the spark of life back into those animals is, it's maybe not feasible. It's, it's not the most ethical thing. No, but is it science? Sewing it together, yes. This wasn't a, an alchemaic chimera <laughs> ceremony that uh, Uncle... Von Dinkelstein performed. Like, Frankenstein invented science fiction. That is a fact about that book. It is science. Moving on to, I think the scene probably that upset me the most in this movie. I mean, that's very strong. A lot of this movie upset <laughs> me. But I think the train parts were the most unnecessary, personally. Because they're just filled with these terrible off-character moments and... Jokes that fall totally flat, but go on for far too long. The worst of the jokes that goes on for too long is that they're in a passenger car that's connected right to the engine of the train. Right. Shaggy and Scooby are in the engine. Then in the passenger car is all the passengers with Fred, Daphne, and Velma at the back of the train. Mm. 
They cannot hear each other. Yes, I remember this part now. Because there is some distance between the two of them. So the passengers are acting as a middle ground to tell each of the groups what they're all saying. Yeah. Now, Velma is staring straight ahead into the engine that is on fire, Shaggy clearly flailing around, unable to do anything. And she keeps yelling at him to tell the conductor to slow the train. You can see it's on fire, Velma. What are you doing? Yeah, Shaggy and Scooby are literally standing in a room of fire. And Velma's like, tell him to slow down a bit. Guys, you're supposed to... Have you forgotten already, you idiots? You're supposed to be telling the conductor to slow down. What are you yeah, doing? Wild, wild riding right there. Then later on, so they get to the castle, which is uh, Velma's family's legacy. And clearly everyone has to lose something they love here. What Velma loses is her rationality and her logic. But this only happens via literal, like, hypnotism. She gets hypnotized by a screen in one scene, and the next time we see Velma, she's gone full bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, she loses her logic and her reason, like... I guess Velma's is different within the curse because she's connected to it via the bloodline. Yeah. She talks about how so many people of her family have been driven mad by this monster's curse. But they, they start a really cool idea of her taking the complete opposite track. Like, rather than showing that this is possible, she's going to show it's impossible and gets super obsessed with it that way. Yeah. And I, th I thought it'd be really cool if they actually showed her actually getting obsessed and falling into this legacy like young Frankenstein did a bit. But... <laughs> there's hypnotism. There's a curse. There's family legacy. There's obsession. It's like a fucking Lovecraft short yeah. story up in here. And I should have been all about that. If only... They had focused on that. They, they, and that is clearly, we've repeated this, it's what happens throughout the movie. They have like one very solid reason why this would be happening. And then they add three more layers on top. Fred is the only one who has a clear motivation. The mystery machine blew up. Bam. That's clear. That's understandable. That girl is gone. But everyone else is given three sort of conflicting reasons that it just feels like a cop-out. That Elvira dress that Velma ends up in is perfectly fitted. So they just had this ready beforehand? This is something that Baron von Dinkelstein had in the closet? It, you know, it, Velma we has that Dinkelstein rockin' bod. We that her whole family has. Learn at the end of this that it is all orchestrated for a reason, but how did they get her exact measurements? Then the fact that she harvests brains from Shaggy and Scooby. This is a real breach of trust to me. Where you take your friends, strap them down, and you're going to cut their brains out of their bodies. She's a bitch when she's evil. Insane Velma. When she tells Daphne, you don't look that bad. And Daphne's like, really? And then Velma is just oh, yeah. flat, flat looks her in the eyes and says, no. I wrote that down. I was very angry she made Daphne feel bad about her looks. 
Um, good, good of them to set up early on regular Daphne and Velma interaction that was very positive so that that would hit a lot harder here. But Velma's ooh. always getting ragged on for her looks, too. I'm guilty of that myself. Earlier in this movie, Daphne calls out her knee-high orange socks, you know? True, true enough. Getting a stab in at Daphne doesn't feel like the ultimate betrayal. It's only presented as that because Daphne's so fucking shallow. She says to Shaggy and Scooby when trying to harvest their brains, between the two of you, you almost have one entire one. Which is, admittedly, that's that's par on course. That is something that regular Velma would say to regular <laughs> Shaggy and Scooby. No issue with that at all. That's fine. My last note for Velma is that at the end, when they trap the villains by doing, like, ghostly projections to all scare them into the same place in town, she uses one of her lenses and her yeah. glasses as a trap. But she takes it out of the pair of glasses she's currently wearing, and she can't see without her glasses. I don't know why she didn't just hold up. I guess she needed the one lens to see out of, so she knew what she was doing with the other lens. She didn't bring a spare pair? She loses them constantly but doesn't bring a spare pair of glasses. I like that it was included in the end, though. I wrote down her glasses. They wouldn't have made it out alive if it wasn't for her glasses. <laughs> and Velma, of course, gives us the lesson at the end that the curse couldn't have been real because it said they would lose what they loved the most. And what they love the most is each other. Oh, Velma, speak for yourself. I would, Fred was salivating on that van earlier. I would also argue that had you cut out Shaggy and Scooby's brains, you might have lost them for good. Might have. Also, Daphne and Fred almost died, so you would have lost all of them if it wasn't for, you know, the good skills that everyone brings to the table. One last thing to say on Velma. She is one of those pedantic asses that will tell you Frankenstein was the doctor, not the monster. Someone actually calls her out for that, don't they? It's someone actually says, like, you're being pedantic? I can't remember. I, ah, uh, ooh, uh, maybe it was something else I watched. Here's the thing, though. It's October. I've been watching a lot of Frankenstein media. Frankenstein the monster was created by Frankenstein the man who has passed on his familiar last name. Yes. As men do within marriages and shit. So, like... My, you know, I, I'm not like, oh, well, it may be they say that in the way like, oh, Mr. Seaguire is my father. Call me Mr. Seaguire's monster. <laughs> I think you'll find that the monster would have gone by like Adam. Yeah, that he is true. He would have gone to all the trouble we recognized as a Frankenstein to just be like, oh, please, Frankenstein is my father's name. Call me Adam. Yeah. Just to piss off Frankenstein. Adam Frankenstein. Where is the the version of that story. Where's the fanfic where Frankenstein creates his monster and he's cool with him and he raises him? Where's the base? Well, I guess that's young Frankenstein. I, d I don't think that's the point of the story. Some, well, I'm just saying you could put, get a new point with a new perspective. That he's a good father? What would happen? There's... It's, a, it's like a Marvel what if. Look, there's plenty of father-son stories already out there. True. That's true. I just want I want to I want Frankenstein playing baseball, playing catch with the old man. Didn't exist in whatever year. Catch didn't exist. 
Not baseball with a might baseball. not have. Baseball might not have, but I catch probably existed. Well, I'm going to throw the old apple around with my dad. But don't eat it, for it will give you sin of knowledge. Look, I know that, like, you were raised in a cornfield and tossing around the old apple with your dad was the most your life could have ever alighted to. But Victor Frankenstein was a man of means. So even though I don't believe that he he would have bought a ball... <laughs> Because it didn't have. have to be an apple. It could, like, <laughs> balls in general have probably existed for a while. Let's hope that we invented the ball before electricity. <laughs> Should we move on to minor mentions? Sure. Alex, superfan2112. Our first that we see, he's in Daphne's live stream blog. Uh, he has a mullet and is wearing a shirt with, like, a skull and crossbones on it. He's saying that the band that was Mamba Wamba, the creators of that stupid song, yeah. were the best band ever. That's that's the Alex that he's a super fan of, is the one from that Mamba Wamba band. Now, if y'all recall, Mamba Wamba was super racist, super inappropriate, two white kids up on stage saying, well, I used to hear this from Mammy on the plantation I was raised on. And then the song went on to say, uh, Mamba, Wamba, Wamba doing, doing the Mamba, Mamba doing the Wamba, Mamba, Wamba, now, doing the Mamba. Do it's admittedly a fucking earworm. It is not a song. Not it's, a song. It's not the greatest song ever written by the greatest band. It's like, you know when you get a string of words stuck in your head that you just kind of like, repeat over and over to yourself because your lizard brain is malfunctioning? Maybe you ever get that? Because I get that some days. Did we ever hear the full song? Because maybe it was like the whole like, Mamba, Wamba, Mamba, Wamba. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. No, I'm pretty sure we heard all of it. Okay. Doing the Mamba. Doing the Wamba. Doing the Wamba. <laughs> They're not hooked on a feeling. And it was bad, y'all. And they didn't have a solitary fan in the 70s while they were doing that, and they don't have a solitary fan nowadays. But they would have if it wasn't for those meddling kids. That's not true. Isn't it so, like, indicative of this Alex superfan, though? Like, he finds this band from the 70s that had, like, one single that was thwarted by crime. And, like, I can totally believe them having, like, an online revival where, like pitchfork does a bit on their album and now it's hipster gold i want to spend the rest of this episode talking about alex superfan 2112 no moving on to the lawyer that calls velma he looks like a mummified monkey man mm -hmm. is how i've described him i just wrote down noseless lawyer i i did make a mental note as we were watching gee he sure looks like that one lawyer from the gackling green ghost episode doesn't he he looks suspiciously similar. However, there's no reason to, to think that. Like, especially not after they're already showing us clips of these green ghosts and the Mamba Wamba group and see all Magnus and old Iron Face. Like, that's just a bit of fun at the beginning that you can quickly forget about, Amelia. The lawyer calls Velma to talk about the next minor mention, Baron Basil von Dinkenstein. He's dead. To begin with. Now, is this the Basil Dinkelstein that was the monster maker? 
Or is this just like a later uncle named Basil? I got a little confused between whether it was her uncle or her great-great-uncle. Honestly, I just wanted to write down the dead to begin with line. That's how That I thought was very clever. I mean, that's... That takes us right to the beginning. Beginning's a very good place to start. Mary Shelley was my next one. Obviously, I already talked about her. Her imaginative genius and genre creation has been taken fully out of her hands. And speaking of hands, our next minor mention has a duster for a hand. I wrote him down as World War One man because he's walking around in a helmet with a spike on the top. He, he seems like he's in charge? Inspector Crunch? Yes, he hated Dr. Baron Basil von Dinkelstein because the monster took his hand. And he replaced it with a duster because it's filthy around here. So you might as well, right? You know what? If you are going to be like a, a cop here, I admire the fact that you put a duster on there. That shows to me where your priorities are. And it's, it's more comforting. It's more homey. He could have easily put a gun there. Yeah, because this town is so welcoming and warming. You want it to be cozy. <laughs> then there's Burgermeister. Uh, yes, uh, Burgermeister Burger. So... Burger is also his last name. Why didn't they just go for the full Rankin-Bass ripoff and call him Burgermeister Meister Burger? Would have been much more fun. Burgermeister is German for mayor, is it? Yeah, he's, ma- he's Mayor Burger. His town makes torches. That is the industry here. They're very, like the best torches in all the U.S. U.S. brand torches. Our flaming pieces of wood are second to none. I guess maybe it's like pressed wood so it burns longer. Like one of those fireplace logs, eight hours, you're good. He sees lights from inside the the Frankenstein... Apologies, uh, Dinkelstein <laughs> Manor. And... Demands to be let in because of it. One, he knows there's a housekeeper there. Yeah. I'm sure it's not the first time lights were on. She's going to have lights on. Second, you can't just barge into castles because you you see lights and you're a little peeved that people won't eat your blood sausage. There's like He was P.O.'d about that. The town is so in... I don't know if we talked about this, but Shaggy and Scooby are too full to eat an extra round of blood sausages... And the town turns on them. Torches and pitchforks ready to kill. Absolutely batshit. Insulted. That they will not eat this blood sausage. It is one thing to eat a donut. It is quite another thing to eat a blood sausage, town. They just won a donut eating contest. Let their tummies settle. Last note for Burgermeister. At the end of this movie, he sits down with a big plate of sausages and what appears to be bagels. I don't know about the rest of you, but I can only eat one bagel before I'm full. It's a filling bread snack. It's a solid lump of dough, and people can eat more than one at a time? It's like, crazy I can, to I can eat a bagel with a lot of toppings on it, but I still think, yeah, one bagel's probably enough. Oh my enough. god, don't even get me started on locks. You cut that bad boy in half and slap mm, some salmon on so top, fucking good. then I can only get through half. I get to eat the rest. This is why I'm so underfed. Because <laughs> I eat the rest. As soon as I put my fork down for even a second, Billy's in there. <laughs> you know who's also in there, in this movie that is? Iago. No, not the talking parrot from Aladdin, but a hunchbacked man. 
He's the same voice as the mad scientist snake doctor from All Hail King Julian on Netflix. Identical. Who and... actually plays him? I can look that up. Jeff Bennett. Ah, yes, of Jeff course. Jeff Bennett is, it, he sneaks in here in Scooby-Doo. Doing the same fucking voice just a few years later. All Hail King Julian. That is a fabulous Netflix series, FBI. I would, I would so recommend All Hail King Julian. By the time you get to season five, you will not understand anything anymore, but it's fun. <laughs> it makes the lore of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated look like child's play. <laughs> it gets so, it is neck deep in the lore. They, I, I love that shit. They worship a pineapple, voiced by Keith David, I do believe. As soon as you get Keith David in there, you have just elevated whatever work you're working on. Uh, my last minor mention is the housekeeper. Does she have a name? Mrs. Vanders. Mrs. Vanders, the housekeeper of, of Dinkelstein Manor, is tall and skinny and creepy and intimidating. Velma gets grossed out when she has to look at her butt. Uh, this was... This was a fart joke that they wrote in for her. They are walking down a hallway, and Velma's just like, gee, this floor sure is squeaky. And then they stop walking, and she bends over, and it's still squeaking. So oh. it's implied that she's got a case of the squeakers, as Daphne would so describe it. Maybe she had cheese. some duck pate. Gives her the squeakers, just like Daphne's mother. She I want to talk about how everyone's grossed out also when she has a key to the front door that she pulls her high-collar dress away from her neck and drops down, and it clinks and clanks for an eternity. Way too long. Before landing somewhere on her body that makes a wet-ass pussy sound. She fucking puts a key down her bodice, and it ends with a whop sound, and... Why, Scooby-Doo? Why are you doing this in this movie? It's... Yeah, I... It was so long, right? The clinking and clanking? Yeah. It felt like four minutes. And there's a time and a place for absurdism like that. And in any it other the, property... It was the wrong moment. Any other property, I would have adored it. But here in Scooby-Doo... When you're trying to build an atmosphere... You're trying to build an atmosphere, you've already established, like, it's not absurdism some of the situations are absurd but it is not absurdism there is a difference here it is now we're watching it on screen just goes on and on everyone gets a reaction shot as she stands there unmoving until finally whop and then we can move on with our lives 15 seconds i want to say that was while she's showing everyone to their rooms the gang is uh making jokes at her expense not, not even all at her expense. No, 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 not even at all. She's perceiving them at her expense. And she, like, flips around to intimidate them by being like, and what was that? She's like a creep, guys, but she is still the hired help. You can control her. Well, yeah, because I, I don't condone people that are assholes to the hired help just because they're the hired help. But this bitch needs to get off her high horse right quick. I actually don't even think they were saying anything on her expense. They were just, like, talking about the building. And she says, oh, do you have something to share with the group? And it's like, yeah, I just did. I'm talking to my friends. And especially for Velma, in a house that she now owns. This bitch 
is give, working give a, for Velma You know what? You're dismissed. I don't need the front door locked all night in your bodice. L- let me hear. I'm actually going to tear down some of this wallpaper. Because I own this house. It is mine. That's why it's, it's weird. Because of all the creepy houses they've been in, like, Thelma owns this one. I feel like this one feels different. And they're, and they're tiptoeing around like they're on someone else's property. Girls, you're not. Turn on all the lights. You know who's paying the electricity bill? You are. What electricity? This is a town that has built its name on torches. All right, we'll go to bed and maybe explore it in the daytime. Everything is fire. And that's going to cause problems later because they're on top of a natural gas deposit. Yup, yup, yup. We learned that when, and I can't stress this enough, Daphne and Fred almost died from a gas leak. And I think, finally, we can talk about our villain. New Iron Face. (laughs) It's Baron Von Dinkelstein, slash his monster, slash Velma. Yeah, I would, I mean, Velma puts Shaggy and Scooby in bodily harm. She's hypnotized, still is antagonistic, though, so... I would qualify her as a minion, if it was anybody but Velma. The Ghost of the Baron does wear an iron mask on his face, apparently because of the, the mob that gathered around the monster to finally kill it, all had torches and burned the Baron's face in death. Which is fucking terrifying. Now that I say it out loud, that's how he died? What the hell? Another instance of a Phantom of the Opera wannabe not helping me get over my intense desire to see it as a stage play. Stage plays aren't happening right now. That's unfair. Unfair to me, who has just discovered her unbridled love for Phantom of the Opera. You'll haunt the stage until they put it on. (laughs) I will, yes. So yeah, the Ghost of the Baron, uh, visually, just a dude in a mask, pretty much. He's got a cape. He has a cape. Capes are great. He does go around, like, uh, sabotaging the train. I think he's the one who blows up the van. Yep. He does a lot of of the prep work before they get to Transylvania. Once they get to Transylvania... Velma brings that monster back to life, and it is Dinkelstein's monster, who is the main antagonist. And this is a monster made of so many animals. Claws, and tentacle, and fur, and... Its head is like a trout or something yeah, stupid. Yeah, there's, there's horns and legs in there. And apparently, he stinks. As you would imagine. Yeah, it's, it's rotting flesh. Like... When Frankenstein builds his monster, does he reconnect all the blood vessels and shit? Like, he, I mean, that's what, I, what brings it to back to sustained life? Oh, lightning. Electricity. Mm, no, that might spark it back to life, but it's not going to sustain a life. If there isn't blood flow, like, you will rot away. Yeah. It's the thing I don't understand with zombies. Like... That zombie body is going to rot into nothing pretty quickly. You just have to wait it out maybe two, three months. Well, that's the big worry is that zombies kill other people who then become zombies. That Zombies are self-sustaining. 
until they run out of people. Well, then, we're, I mean, that's why it's usually know, an apocalypse. I'm, it's not called the zombie, everything's fine. I know we have proven with this fucking coronavirus pandemic that people cannot be convinced to just stay the fuck in their house no matter what. So that's how you're going to get new zombies. But at the same time, 28 Days Later is really the only zombie narrative that I've ever 100% agreed with. Because they after, just die out. After two months, the human body is rotted. Hey. You can't get up and walk around anymore. And you know what that movie also shows? How a proper quarantine can actually help keep things contained. Oh, and then that's thrown right out the window with the more American sequel. It also shows how to do a sad ending really well. Yeah. I mean, I like that Jim survives technically in canon of the movie, but that alternate ending Ugh. where he dies it's is effective. so sad. Getting back to Frank and Creepy, I had a theory midway through where I thought the lawyer was going to be the ghost of the Baron and that it was going to be the uncle still alive, unwillingly sewn into the suit. Because I could see that the things that the monster were doing could have just been him like flailing around and everyone's like, oh, fuck, it's a monster. And that would tie it really closely in with Frankenstein, where he's not really a monster. He's upset. Of, yeah. He is upset at his circumstances. That's not what happened. No. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's not what happened. <laughs> what? what was the criminal plan here, Amelia? Because it is wild. It is a four-person plan of utter revenge. It's the ghost of Redbeard's pirate. It's Old Iron Face. It's the, one of the Gackling Green ghosts. And it is the woman that was singing Mamba Wamba all working together. For revenge. Mr. Creeps, C.L. Magnus, Lila, and Mama Mion. All coming back as they were originally with their actual names. Putting together a crew, because I guess they met in prison. They met on a We Hate Scooby-Doo social network. That was it. Look at you social media destroying everything. And they all... I guess, get out of prison at the same time, and they pool their money, and they buy Dinkelstein's castle to lure them there, where they will then break their minds with this curse and then explode the castle because it's on a gas line. What? 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 Yeah. You just get a fucking gun! You obviously know where they are! You blew up the mystery machine really effectively. If they had been in it... Maybe just make a non-beeping bomb next this time. This is the problem with a lot of cartoon criminals, is that they get too much into the theatricality of it. They're very much like, oh, I want you to suffer first. You could have taken them out back on the mainland. You didn't need to send them to... I say mainland. No, you're going to Pennsylvania. <laughs> Pennsylvania's not mainland. <laughs> not in my eyes. Velma points out at the end... You idiots. You were sitting on top of a natural gas deposit. You could have been richer than your wildest dreams. That's always where the feasibility falls apart. And yet now, they're all going back to prison and for much more serious crimes than was their original ones. Lila was like, what? Copyright infringement. <laughs> Copyright infringement. Now she's going for attempted murder. Huge property destruction. And they're all actually being arrested now by the Department of Defense. We did forget one <sighs> yeah. minor mention, Agent Schmidtlop. He's a little man. When Fred asks, where's the little man? 
Uh, he's in a mech suit that's in Frankenstein's monster. Because the Frankenstein's <laughs> monster was a mech suit. Now, I don't think he was being the monster the whole time. I no. think they were all, the others were taking turns in it. They stole from the American military a mech suit that was specifically made for little people to, to rage America's wars. And that's when the Department of Homeland Security or whatever it was had to get involved. And watching that tiny man in a tiny suit climb out of the Stein <laughs> monster really made me be like, huh. I hate Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like one extra wild idea you did not need. And, and that can sum up this movie so well. It's wild ideas it didn't need. Okay, also, this crew. Did they kill Velma's uncle? What happened? The, it, was I, there ever an uncle? No, I think this... This castle has been abandoned for a long time, like you proposed, and they just bought it. Okay. However, if the uncle just died, why he didn't bequeath it to living family himself? Or maybe he did, and that's how they got her there in the first place, because they had an official will in their hands. What? But then okay. how did they buy it? I don't know. Mr. Creeps, originally, was he originally a lawyer? He was a lawyer. Do you think he was possibly just Dinkelstein's lawyer? Like, that part was legit, and it just fell into their lap? You know what? No, I'm going to go back to the original idea that it's just an abandoned castle that they happened to buy, and that Creeps was able to draw up official-looking documentation because he was officially a lawyer. He does have a history with the law. That makes sense, too. Do you have a terror scale, since um, feasibility is a not? I, I feel like... It doesn't super apply. Like, this monster was around, but it was just, like, another thing creating atmosphere in this world. I didn't consider the monster too much. I was more focused on the members of the gang and their individual journeys with their... with losing what they loved the most. So I don't really have a terror scale here. I gave it a four because it's gross. I gave the Baron a zero because he's dull. And Velma... I don't know, like a one for the tits that are now sticking out of her dress. Yeah, you always gotta give it at least a point to those. <laughs> They're just so terrifying. Um, other thoughts and feelings. I did note that we had a painting with eyes that moved. It has been a long time since I've noticed that trope. Welcome back. Uh, I have quite a few to go through. Uh, our search engine here is not Giggle. It's Scooble-Doo. Scooble-doo. The search engine. Why not just Scooble? What I wouldn't give for the carefree days of Giggle. <laughs> Second, this train. How many people died? Because cars were falling off the back of that thing? Yeah. Long before they ever said to themselves, let's go talk to the conductor. <laughs> Let, or let's go get the people in those cars to move up a bit. <laughs> and the fucking train tracks. It's like wood buttressed around, curling around like jagged mountains. Why would an American railroad company build a line like this? European rail? Totally understandable. But those Americans, say what you will about them, they built straight train tracks. <laughs> they weren't bothered with turns. <laughs> In this town that is 1900s Germanic in the sense that, like, the Amish abandoned technology after, like, 
1825. Why is the Torch Festival have so many souvenirs geared towards cars? They're not welcoming to tourists, obviously, the way they treated everyone that rolled in back into town at yeah. the beginning of this. And there's no cars here for any locals to buy. It's fucking weird. I mean, clearly, for Frank and Creepy, that was just so Fred would have something to mourn over. But in terms of, like, the logic of this town, doesn't make sense. And uh, just my last general feeling was Little People X-Files Branch? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Because, ag again, I was just so flabbergasted I saw it, and I thought, huh. I hate Scooby-Doo. That's what solidified that thought in my mind. Yeah. I'm not a Scooby-Doo fan, and this movie made me realize it. I, I, I could see. I, I think you're a Scooby-Doo fan. I think you're just, you know, we are Fred Jones fans in a Scooby-Doo world. That's it. That's it. Pour one out for Fred Jones. <laughs> Amelia, overall, was this movie a Scooby-Doo or a Scooby-Don't? I think if not for the Edgar Wright quick cuts, as they try to fill this movie with every asinine idea that they had, it would be a Scooby maybe. Because, like, I didn't enjoy it, but whatever, others might. I don't see how anyone enjoys this, to be perfectly honest. That poll we ran where we asked if you liked it, yay or nay, and overwhelmingly people said yay. Why? Someone I, please tell me in the comments. I mean, it plays up a lot of, like, classic horror atmosphere things. No, it doesn't. There's no atmosphere. Don't okay, lie. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not, Then I've used the word atmosphere wrong. I mean, it's taken a Frankenstein. It's taken an Igor. It's taken a, a Germanic village like that. It's doing things like that. And I, I do like that it covers the gang's character in a way... But it just, it, it has too much for everything. Daphne's too shallow. This isn't Daphne. Yeah, You're I saying agree. that the, her character is no, explored? I'm not. I'm that's saying, what you just said. I'm saying I like that that was the angle they wanted to take. But with what, with what they ended up with, it, it was too much of, of here, 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 and not enough real development. So, and especially those cuts at the beginning of the movie so threw me off pacing-wise. It did not give me a good sense of rhythm with this. I'm, this. I'm the same as you. I think I want to go to the Scooby Maybe, but I end up at a don't. Yeah, it's a Scooby don't from both of us. This, yeah. is, uh, this is a mess. Like, I thought I felt conflicted about WrestleMania, but, oh, Jesus Christ, I... Would kill for the carefree days of Triple H pulling a lever. I understand that. I am looking forward to... No, you know what? Because they got another mystery machine. I was going to say, I'm looking forward to the mystery carriage being brought back as a little joke. They didn't even follow through on that. R.I.P. the mystery carriage. Listeners, if you'd like to reach out to us, we can both be found on Twitter. I am at TheBillySeguire. Amelia is at FatalAmelia. And we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Dews. You can find all our old stuff streaming on YouTube, Tumblr, and our WordPress page, all under Scooby Doos or Scooby Don'ts. We have a Patreon where you can subscribe for exclusive monthly content. You can check out 
my own YouTube channel under Fade Amelia to look at spooky related things. It's October. You're going to want to check that out. And coming up next is something. I don't I, know. I actually am prepared for this question. Oh, or I was before I closed the window. Something about the moon? Moon madness? Moon madness. I think that's it. We started recording this podcast, I want to say, four hours ago. It has been one thing after another trying to stop us from recording. So on that note. That's it from scooby dooby Us. The scooby dooby Seriously, people that listen to this episode, please give me reasons why you like it bullet points on our Twitter page. Please and thank you. And if it's just a gif of Velma in that dress, we get it. We're not going to take that as a valid answer and but, you will be stricken from the record. But we get it. <laughs>